0: What's up, guys? Welcome to The Road Podcast, the podcast where we talk about overall well-being, health, and all the crazy things that happen on this road that we call life. I'm your host, Jonathan Shane. What is going on, guys? It's your boy, Jay Shane, here for what will probably be my most nerdy podcast. I have done extensive research and a lot of thought has been put into explaining this episode to you. Why a paleolithic ketogenic diet? I think that to start, we have to really focus on the mainstays, the things that I think across the board, people in the ketogenic community and low carb community agree on. And then we can get into the more controversial things and talk about the nitty gritty there. So I prefer a paleolithic ketogenic diet. Let me say that. It is is a bias of mine due to my running, due to the effect that eating this way has had on my physique, my mental clarity, my muscle retention, my performance on the pavement as a runner. This diet is foolproof for me. I never plan on eating any differently. I have found my mainstay. So let me, let me preface that. This is definitely a biased conversation um, because I enjoy this way of eating. It makes me feel good. And so I have gone out of my way to look at studies that could support the way that I'm feeling. So understand that too. You might be eating a certain way where you feel like you're thriving and it might not necessarily agree with everything that I'm about to say. And that's okay. You don't have to. It's not your diet. But For someone out there listening that's really confused, maybe they're on the ketogenic diet and they're not feeling good, but going to a high carb diet doesn't feel good either. Maybe um, you know you feel sore, you feel stressed, you have a lot of emotions swinging, you have bloat, you have gut issues, you have your fasting glucose is elevated even though you're eating eighty percent fat. I want to talk to you about this. This is your podcast. I think I could honestly, literally change your life. and I wanna get into it right now. So first of all, what is a paleolithic ketogenic diet? There's a lot of people that have you know, used this term to explain a diet and I think they all vary a little bit. Um, the way that I look at a paleolithic ketogenic diet is it is a ketogenic version of a whole foods paleolithic diet. And what that basically entails is if it grows or it makes noise, it is technically eligible to be eaten. There are some caveats like grains, which I will make a podcast specifically on why I don't really encourage the eating of grains. Um, but in terms of root vegetables, tubers, uh, you know, fruit bearing plants, animals, dairy, because dairy comes from those animals that we eat Um, all those things are eligible as food, as long as they're in the context of prioritizing those healthy fats, those proteins from animals, and then your carbs coming from those whole food sources. Um, And that is basically what I would consider a paleolithic ketogenic diet. Uh, My diet includes dairy, cheese, milk, goat's milk. It includes a lot of meat, a lot of fat from butter, avocado oil, olive oil, keto bricks are obviously always a mainstay, bone marrow. um, But I have, you know, with my carbs, instead of eating keto treats most of the time, um, now it really includes a lot of grain-free granola, uh, blueberries, and I would say honey are probably my three favorite carb sources like My 50 grams of carbs on average that I eat a day is generally made up of those three things. Um, I do include sweet potato every now and then. I will have an apple uh, with almond butter every now and then. Me and my daughter might share a red banana and some peanut butter every now and then. Um, Things like that i still do not do high fructose corn syrup i have not you know i don't eat uh, granulated sugar um, i don't eat any kind of grain i do not eat um, any kind of refiner processed sugar of any kind um, if it's a whole food sweetener like honey maple syrup coconut sugar those three i'm okay with i'm okay with date paste as well Um, I'm not okay with date sugar because it uses maltodextrin to crystallize it. That's something that you have to take time to research, but just hear it from me because I did it for you. Um, And I have a program coming out, just FYI caveat, I do have a program coming out with the food list detailing all of this stuff. Um, So I'm pretty excited about that. But so that's pretty much like what my diet looks like. It's very whole food focused. My carbs are whole food focused, but my fat never goes below 65% fat for the day. Um, I'm always producing ketones. My fasting blood glucose is always in the seventies. Um, I never see my blood sugar go over 96. I think is the highest I've seen it on this diet. Um, and so very good regulated blood sugar. I feel great. My performance is great. I just love this way of eating. So now that we've got that out of the way, let's kind of talk about why this would be beneficial. So let's start with the mainstays, right, in terms of a ketogenic diet. So let's talk about fats. Now, obviously, this is going to be a good diet for someone that's on keto because of the fat sources. I mean, you're not going to, you're really going to remove seed oils completely from your life. You're going to remove any kind of overly processed oils, anything that could be t- you know, potentially rancid due to exposure in sunlight, et cetera you're going to really be focused on whole food fats, right? So avocados, avocado oil, olives, olive oil, animal fats, beef tallow, duck fat, you know, meats. And so, I mean, just from a fat perspective, and and oh yeah, nuts, sorry, macadamia nuts, things like that. So just from like a fat perspective, you have created an amazing environment in terms of diversity in your fats, but also a real emphasis on those omega-3s, a real emphasis on saturated fats, stearic acid, right? With the avocados and stuff, you're going to get in some omega-9s. And macadamia nuts, you're going to get in some omega-7s. So you've got this really good, diverse, healthy ratio of fatty acids just from focusing on these food groups. So already from like a fat as your primary fuel source perspective, you're already ahead of the game right there. Protein. Again, just because of the foods you're eating, you're so ahead of the game. Everything you eat is going to have adequate amount of leucine in the amino acid profile. You're going to trigger protein synthesis. You're going to see gains in the gym if you're eating enough calories and enough protein. You're going to get that. You're going to get in that adequate amount of protein. You're going to get in good quality, adequate amount of protein. Like It's there. and Literally, simply just from eating this way and excluding some other things from your diet, like empty, you know, um, you know, I tend to not eat pork rinds a lot anymore, not because they're not a whole food, but like, I don't know, like, I just don't eat a lot of things in bags, um, except for grain free granola. And honestly, I've gotten in the habit of making that myself anyways. So like literally like, and the reason I brought up pork rinds is because if you don't know this, they're not a complete amino acid profile. They don't have, um, L, uh, tyrosine. Which is actually really important for production of melatonin. So like, I'm sorry, tryptophan. My bad, tryptophan, not tyrosine. Tryptophan. Um, And so yeah, Uh, not complete amino acid profile. So like even that, just like cutting out a lot of pork rinds because people like usually sub those for chips and eat a lot of those when they're first getting started, don't realize like, hey, like you're cutting out complete amino acid profiles. If you're having a hard time sleeping on keto, probably because you're not getting in a lot of tryptophan, and your body needs that to create melatonin. So it might be a deficiency. Just saying. Um, so just like little switches like that can make all the difference. And so just from like a, if you're going to do like a paleolithic ketogenic diet and then just do more of a carnivore version or like a green veggie only version or whatever, like already from our basic principle foundations that we all agree on the focus on fats as our primary fuel source and pr- adequate protein for longevity, health, and muscle building, you're already 10 steps ahead of the game, like very much so. And I I really want to emphasize that, like, that's the, I mean, that's like, it it makes such a difference, the kind of fatty acids you're eating, the kind of protein you're eating, how that affects your cell membrane structure, how that, you know, affects your immune system, like, all that jazz is so well, so well established. And and, and just like that, the level of health, I'm trying to make sure I find the right words here, like, I really want to emphasize to you, like, The difference it can make just switching to this way of eating just for that alone, okay? So again, those are the easy things to talk about, okay? And just to kind of give you an idea of why I think it's important to talk about those. is So a lot of people go, oh, well, you know, calories in, calories out there's actually a study that came out that looked at ultra processed diets. And I'll have a link to a to a Washington Post article on this study, it's got a link to the study too. But it looks at the difference between ultra processed food and unprocessed diets. So like not necessarily ketogenic, but still just this idea of like whole foods, right? And what we found was that the body weight changes and the ability to intake more calories over your threshold were much higher in the hyper palatable processed foods. So, yeah, of course, weight gain is going to be higher, but, in, and that is due to your calories being higher. But we also see that, you know, how many calories we eat and how our body is affected by that is very different uh, depending on the uh, quality of food we're eating. Like, if we look at the graph, and again, you just go to this while you're listening to this podcast, click on the link. If we go to the graph, we see that the calories for the person eating their unprocessed diet stay relatively the same. And so do the calories for the ultra processed, but yet the weight keeps going up for the ultra processed, and the weight keeps going down for the unprocessed. And they're only about a 500 calorie difference. That's not that big. It's not that big for them to be gaining. I mean, if we look at this, I mean, for them to gain one pound in in two weeks of like pure body fat, it's just, it's crazy. Um, and probably not feeling any less or more full. So Mm -hmm. It just goes to show that ultra-processed diets, even a ketogenic ultra-processed diet, it's so easy to overeat. I want you to think about this for a second, because let's put this back into a keto perspective. If you have a sweet tooth and you decide to have a keto mug cake, understand that that keto mug cake is going to set you back anywhere from 300 to 600 calories. Yes, it's keto. Yes, if you're craving something sweet and you don't want to have some blood sugar dysregulation, it's a better option in terms instead of like a normal cake, for sure. But in terms of losing weight, you can't get frustrated if you're on keto and then you have a mug cake and then you haven't hit your weight goal that week, especially if that was something that wasn't part of your normal tracking. It's a lot of calories, my friend, and we don't notice it because it's so hyper palatable and it's so dense, right? And so, just realize that even ultra-processed keto treats can cause issues, and and we don't even have time today to go into the the possible chances that the sugar alcohols are having negative impacts on your gut, right? That we're having, um, you know, issues on uh, pseudo-insulin responses, blood sugar dysregulation, hypoglycemic responses. Um, all the things that can come with that as well, just because they're not, that they, they are sweet, but they don't actually have a sugar carbohydrate uh, impact on the body. And so your body's in this kind of like dysregulated state, which again, some of that is pseudoscience. Some of that is based off of anecdotal evidence, based off of CGM monitors, things I've done with clients. No, not all that is based off of peer reviewed studies. Um, Not that I think anybody that likes erythritol wants to do a peer reviewed study on insulin, pseudo insulin responses, because who wants to be told that you might be making your insulin resistance worse by eating super sweet keto treats? I wouldn't want that, Um, but it's possible. So I don't wanna dive into that too much today. But I just wanted to bring up that link. And again, all the studies I'm gonna talk about today are, are gonna to be linked in the description in this podcast. Also, if you have any rebuttals or you wanna argue with me, not argue, sorry, you wanna have a healthy debate, feel free to email me, the at gmail.com. I would love to talk through all this with you. So again, so whole food processed diet, unprocessed diets are better for um, a more controlled caloric intake and weight loss. We also see that fatty acids do impact our cellular health, hormones, et cetera, the quality of fats we get in are important. So an unprocessed diet is going to emphasize healthy fats, better amino acid profiles, better protein sources, mainstays, foundational understanding. I think a lot of people that really encourage a more natural whole foods ketogenic diet can agree on those. Okay, great. Now let's talk about carbohydrates. This is the conversation of the year. Why? Because I have gone full blown high carb. Yes, my name will now be the Kiarb Road. I was gonna say the Keter Road out of habit. The Carb Road. Um, just kidding. No, I don't think high carb diets are beneficial. Um, I think if you if you're thriving on them, who am I to tell you to get off of them? But in terms of what I see in the evidence, I don't see why someone would go to a primary carb based fuel diet. Which, you know, that's between them and the tree. But um, I don't see the point in it. However, I think that one thing that interests me in the keto space, as I've become more educated and kind of just found my place and what I like, we talked a lot to people that aren't keto about how, you know, cause they talk about, well, why would you need to be fat adapted? Why is fat and main energy source important? or we don't need that. And it baffles us. Why? Because we understand that throughout history, our bodies have adapted efficiently and biologically have adapted to using fat as a primary fuel source during times of famine, or depending on the culture, they may have just eaten a really high fat, high protein diet, like the Inuits, the Maasai people, etc. And we know this, we argue this, we debate this heavily because we believe in the adaptive processes that allow us to be primary fat burners. And the reason that our brain and our heart prefer ketones as energy. Um, Like we we know this stuff, but yet we're so we're so against the refined sugars and processed foods. And I really want to emphasize there's a difference here. Like we're so against those things that we, anything associated with them, like the word carbohydrate is demonized as well. And we forget the fact that our ancestors grew up around them too our ancestors had fruit. Our ancestors had berries. Even if they weren't the same kind of fruit that exists today, they had them. They had tubers. They had root vegetables. They ate these things, right? And their bodies over time have adapted to having them as part of their system. Now, in what amounts, that depends on the person. That's genetics, that's blood type, that's ancestral diet, that's it can get really complicated when we look at bioindividuality, but to act like carbs aren't part of human evolution and adaptation is, is weird to me. Um, because it, it just is like our bodies do. And I think that it's important for us to have a healthy understanding of that. And also understand that just like there are bad fats and there are good fats, right? Like vegetable oil and animal fats, there are bad carbs. And there are good carbs. And when I say bad and good, I don't mean in terms of moral objectiveness. I mean, in terms of their impact on your body, right? Like we know that the carbohydrates from a, you know, can of Coke are going to have a profoundly different impact on your body. You know, in terms of how high it spikes your blood sugar, uh, how high-fructose corn syrup impacts your liver, et cetera, versus having a bowl of berries with a healthy, uh, diverse you know, carbohydrate complex of natural fructose, glucose, sucrose, etc. It's going to have a way better impact on uh, your body physiologically. Studies have shown that fruit helps with insulin sensitivity as long as the fructose is under 20 grams a day. Um, it can actually help with insulin sensitivity due to the energy pathways it uses, which is like a whole thing that we can get into. Why are fruits okay? Da, da, da. I can do that on another podcast because I know fruits are not everybody's friend right now, which I don't know why when you walk past a blueberry tree, you think that it's poison. It's weird, but it's fine. I understand. Um, I understand where they're coming from. I've, I've read some of the posts, but I would really like to rebuttal in a healthy way, in my opinion of it. But anywho, point is, point is there are good carbs and there are bad carbs on how they impact our body. Just like there are fats, just like there are proteins without complete amino acid We have to be fair with all the macronutrients. Even if we emphasize a higher fat, We have to, if we're going to be scientifically accurate about this, we have to be able to be honest with all three macronutrients and treat them all fairly. Carbs have to be treated fairly. And understand that there are carbs that aren't necessarily bad for you and can be used for good. Okay, so John, on a ketogenic diet, how can carbs be good for you? Okay, so to understand the role, the possible role, of carbohydrates in your diet on a ketogenic diet, we have to understand cortisol. We have to understand cortisol very well. What is cortisol? Cortisol is a potent insulin antagonist hormone inhibiting insulin secretion, okay? And it simulates glucagon secretion, which basically increases blood sugar. It's a stress hormone. That's a very long-winded word sentence for stress hormone. So your adrenals in a stressful situation will release cortisol, right? Cortisol will inhibit insulin, right? So it'll stop insulin from being secreted and then it will stimulate glucagon secretion, which is going to create gluconeogenesis, right? It's going to make your body create blood sugar. That's why when you're stressed out, your blood sugar spikes, right? If your blood, sh- if, if, if cortisol, understand this, if cortisol didn't inhibit insulin, right, and it only stimulated glucagon, then your blood sugar wouldn't go up that high in a stressful situation you wouldn't have this huge bolus of quick energy you would have a steady stream of quick energy for a, a little bit of time so what does it do to give you that huge dump at once it suppresses insulin it increases glucagon it allows your blood sugar to get super high and then cortisol will come down and insulin will just go at it and then all of a sudden all this insulin has all this blood sugar to work with just like you like snorted a line of like granulated sugar and just boom, bam, done. Like you just, you're, you're, you're ready. Right. And that happens within, you know, you're talking five, 10 minutes that, that process that sounds very long happens extremely quickly in your system. That's what cortisol does. Cortisol does that. And that's the system that's within, right? So insulin, blood sugar, cortisol, they have a very, very tight relationship because cortisol is what triggers that quick energy need. Okay. So why is this important for us? Well, first of all, we have to understand something. Our bodies, our adrenal glands do not know the difference between emotional stress and physical stress, working out, having a bad day at the office, getting frustrated with your child, fighting with your spouse, whatever it might be. Your body doesn't know the difference. Your body simply sees tiger. And so because of that, your body releases cortisol a lot, especially now. Like we live in a high cortisol society, okay? Why is this even close to important to understanding, okay? It's it's really important to understand because what we can see is we can see that cortisol, I have another study that I'll post in the description where they looked at people and they looked at cortisol versus insulin sensitivity. And what we do see is we see that chronic cortisol can lead to insulin resistance. We also see that insulin resistance can increase cortisol. Okay, why? Because insulin resistance creates inflammation. Inflammation is a stress, cortisol releases, suppresses insulin for a moment to increase blood sugar, then unsuppresses insulin, insulin attacks the blood sugar. And so what we get is we get these huge boluses of insulin, these huge boluses of blood sugar, and that's happening six times a day. You're, you're, you are creating insulin resistance. You're basically and and I'm trying to say this lightly because I don't, I don't think eating one piece of candy is going to kill you, but I want you to see it as like, you're literally like eating like pure sugar six times a day without any fats or proteins. They're like, stress responses are basically very imbalanced meals <laughs> and so over time you're creating a really unhealthy system right blood sugar dysregulation a lot of inflammation cortisol is super high um because it's just it's just dysregulated right your your cortisol is suppressing your insulin then releasing it in large amounts that's creating insulin resistance which is creating infl- inflamed cells which is also triggering cortisol again and the cycle continues that happen. that can happen a lot. And so how does this, how does this affect us? Well, cortisol gets in the way of our ability to lose fat. Um, a cortisol dysregulation and adrenal fatigue are going to keep blood sugar elevated, which if your blood sugar, this is the reality. If your blood sugar is elevated, you are not burning fat primarily as a fuel source. I do not care if you are eating 80% fat, if your blood sugar is at 130 all the time, you are not pre- predominantly burning fat. Now is your body maybe creating sugar from amino acids and maybe some glycerol backbone? Possibly. Yes, I would think so. It's gotta get it from somewhere. Um, but you are not like directly using fat as fuel. You are you are burning a lot of sugar. Um, And of course that still burns calories right i think this is this is where the conversation get complicated um but you're not predominantly burning fat you're not and how does that translate into what we're talking about well you're not going to feel good you're not going to have good mental energy it can definitely inhibit fat loss um you know uh blood sugar dysregulation and stress hormones impact on ghrelin cannot be good it can make you crave sweet things because your body's like okay. I don't want to touch my stored body fat. I don't want to touch my proteins, but I'm have to, because I'm stressed. So I have to create sugar from something better idea. You need to go eat something. You give me the sugar and I can just calm down. Right. And so then we crave sweets and then we have these binges and that's why people crave like really sweet things when they've had a bad day. It's not just an endorphin thing. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a physiological thing. It's a biological thing. And so how does, how does all that lead into the conversation here? Well, what I just said, if you paid attention was when cortisol is high and your body's having a hard time creating enough sugar to deal with that response, that dysregulation, it's just going to make you crave things outside of your body. Why? Because exogenous glucose forces your cortisol to come down because it says, Hey, you don't have to keep doing this. You can let the insulin go. You can calm down. I will take care of the rest. I've seen this a lot. I've seen this a lot. For example, I've seen people with a fasting glucose of 130 and they will eat say some sweet potato, right, at night. And they wake up in the morning and their fasting glucose is under 100. The first time they've seen it under 100 in 6-7 months. That doesn't even make sense to them. Why would more carbs bring my blood sugar down? Well, it's because of what's going on in your body you have a lot of cortisol, you have cortisol dysregulation, you have adrenal fatigue. And so that exogenous glucose, that exogenous carbohydrate source is telling your body, hey, you don't have to continue to freak out to handle the situation you feel like you're in. I, I got this, I'll take care of it. And that's kind of like a basic overview of cortisol in terms of how it becomes unhealthy. And then that idea of like exogenous carbohydrates can be beneficial in bringing cortisol back down. Now, before I dive into that a little bit more, I do want to preface a couple of things. One, there's a lot of stresses that we can deal with before doing this, meaning, I don't want you to say, oh, I have a really stressful life. I don't have any stress life management, I'm overtraining. Um, I'm not really dealing with an unhealthy relationship that I'm in, etc. Oh, I'm just gonna eat cake now because my cortisol is gonna come down. No, there's a couple things that you need to address before you ever try using carbohydrates to bring your cortisol down. One, do you have proper stress life management? Check. Are you eating enough? Sometimes your cortisol just wants food, and that increase in calories will be enough of a trigger to get it to calm down, right? It could just be under eating. So are you under eating? Do you have proper stress life management? Are you getting in adequate rest days, right? Those things have to be checked first. Are you getting adequate sleep? And then are you getting an adequate amount of electrolytes? Those are the five big ones. If those things are being done and you're still noticing that your, your fasted glucose is elevated. You're in a caloric deficit, but your body's inflamed. You're not really losing the weight, like on the scale, right? Like maybe inches are going down, but like you just feel inflamed and puffy all the time. You don't know why. Um, You're having trouble sleeping, okay? You're having bloat and gut issues. All these might be signs of insulin resistance and cortisol issues, right? Cortisol dysregulation. And this is where healthy carbohydrates can come into play. Having 20 to 30 grams of a healthy carbohydrate once to twice a day with your fatty protein meal can make all the difference. And I've seen this anecdotally. We see that insulin has a physiological impact um, on cortisol. We see that exogenous carbohydrates and glucose have a physiological impact on bringing cortisol down. It just makes sense. How does everything I just went through play into a paleolithic ketogenic diet? So what if I told you a paleolithic ketogenic diet is a fix to all of this. What do I mean? So we see an issue with people overeating on a standard keto diet due to keto treats and stuff like that. We see that sugar alcohols could play an impact on gut issues, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And we also see that people using sugar alcohols and not really you know, ingesting whole food carbohydrates to deal with cortisol issues can cause chronic cortisol issues down the road. We see this happen in people and they, you know, they, they they think keto is not for them. They think that keto is just causing them issues. So they go back to like a normal diet and for a temporary time, they feel better because their cortisol resets. But then all those extra foods and ingredients that cause other issues to begin with start to manifest themselves back and then they're back to where they were and then they go keto and then they feel bad and then they go back and they go keto Then they go back and it's back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And I'm telling you, this diet is the saw of all. It's amazing. Okay. So you have your quality fats and proteins. You have that ketogenic ratio of 65 or higher percent fat. Um, you know, you're doing 25, 30% protein. You're getting in good amounts of fats and proteins. You know your protein threshold. You're there. Okay, what if I told you all you need to do is take your 50 grams of total carbs or 30 grams of total carbs or 40 grams. I just stay below 50 grams is a really good rule of thumb and switch those carbs to whole food carbs. That means you can have your salad, but instead of getting the keto treat or the keto bar, have some fruit. Eat some blueberries, eat some strawberries, eat some raspberries, have one apple. If you're worried about fructose, give an example. There's seven grams of fructose in a gala apple. You would only get away with eating one or two of those a day on a ketogenic ratio diet, anyways. So you're not going to go over on your fructose numbers, just so you know. But, anyways, have a piece of fruit or have a sweet potato or have grain free granola that has sweetened with maple syrup and honey rather than the erythritol based keto granola. That's all you have to do. It's the simple switches to whole food things instead of keto treat things when you're craving sweets and you could see a profound impact on your fasted glucose, your cortisol, your ability to lean down, your ability to feel better, to have the energy and to be burning fat better because here's the key. If what did we talked about earlier, if you introduce exogenous glucose, and that brings your cortisol down that means once your body releases gets rid of that glucose and shuttles it into the cells you are burning fat again guys i'll tell you a story i started running on strict keto in fact it was my mission to not eat any carbs at all and become a an elite athlete i was ignorant i did not understand cortisol and i was my stress life management was good i was eating 3000 calories a day Da 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 i was great but I couldn't lose weight. In fact, I put weight on. Um, I was injuring myself. I was super inflamed. I didn't feel good. My fasted glucose was 110, 115. Um, And it was never that when I was ketogenic bodybuilding, which we'll get into in a second. Um, But it's only when I was running. Why? Because endurance training is a chronic cortisol environment. And if you don't treat the chronic cortisol issue You will create insulin resistance and elevated blood glucose levels. You just will. It's physiology. You can't, it's biology. You can't, you can't argue with these things. It's just what happens. So I had two choices. You know, I could either A, eliminate the stress, which was the running, or I could figure out how to handle it nutritionally. I was not willing to give up running. Not for anything. I love running. So I started playing with things and here's what I found. I found that if I had my 50 grams of carbs, instead of being made up of a salad, were made up of fruits. And you know, I really love keto brick. It's not a high carb item. In fact, it's a very high fat item and it's delicious. But like my carbs come from like keto bricks, grain-free granola, blueberries, and then raw honey when I want it. And I keep it under 50 grams of carbs Mm -hmm. on average that my blood my fasted blood glucose dropped by almost 30 points on average i now sit around 75 to 80 every day just like i was when i was ketogenic bodybuilding my my fasted ketones went up i used to sit at 0.2 only and now i see 0.3s and 0.6s and 0.7s i never but that's from including high glycemic uh carbohydrates carbohydrates that weren't weren't zero uh calorie sweeteners that weren't zero blood glucose impact sweeteners, but these are like real foods that do impact my blood glucose. And they allowed my body to have hormonal resets and hormonal balance that allowed me to burn fat better. That's why this idea of eat carbs to burn fat better comes from. Um, all of this is all, all everything we just went over is condensed into that that phrase, eat carbs to burn fat better, not more, but the types, right? And all of a sudden, though, my fasting glucose dropped like 35 points a day. My ketones went up. Guys, I am the most fit I've ever been in my life. I am the most fit I've ever been in my life. And that's the thing is, like, people go, oh, well, maybe it's not your dietary approach. You're just a runner. Guys, I was running before I made this change to this dietary approach. I know what it's like to run not on this dietary approach. It sucks, right? So you might ask, well, why wasn't that happening with bodybuilding? Well, because bodybuilding is stressful when you're doing it, but it's not near as, because there's 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 rest between sets, because it's you're not working out twice a day like you are some days when you're an endurance athlete, because if you're cross-training, you're running and you're lifting weights, it's just different. There's not near as much of a cortisol output, and it's not near as chronic as running is, right? So if I work out for an hour, there are adequate time and breaks between sets, you know, uh, you know, 90 seconds between sets. You know, it takes me to, if you work out for an hour, you might actually only be working for 35 minutes. There's like 20 minutes over time worth of breaks there, right? It allows your blood sugar to come up, um, allows your body to have that, that proper balance. Whereas when you're running, like I say, I run for two hours. That's constant. There is no, there's no break. There, there, there's no break it kind of reminds me of women with cycles now some now i this is a whole another podcast too but women's cycles depending on the woman have different cortisol responses some people their uh their uh cortisol response during you know after ovulation going into starting their cycle over again is not near as high as someone else's cortisol response may be so you may have some women that just eat more during uh, the last phase of their cycle and they're fine. They're great. Their body just kind of levels out. Other women can not do that. Other women need something to bring cortisol down. And I always tell them like, have a bowl of, have a bowl of blackberries with some cream before you go to bed tonight. And all of a sudden they do that for the last like five days of their cycle and they feel better. Their ketones are higher. Their blood sugar is lower. It's just, it just makes sense. And the great thing is, is that if you follow a paleolithic, ketogenic diet, you do this naturally, you do it naturally. It's part of the way you eat. You're not eating a bunch of rice. You're not eating cakes from the deli. You're not going back to a standard American diet. You're eating a high fat, moderate protein, low carb diet, but your carbs are coming from sources that are going to properly address chronic cortisol, adrenal fatigue, and insulin resistance which is mind boggling. Um, now what I will say is that, you know what? No. So I was about to say, I don't think someone that just starting needs to do this, but actually I will say, I think someone that's just starting can absolutely do a paleo ketogenic diet. Just don't eat the carbs, lower your carbs to 20 grams a day, and just don't eat anything sweet. Just avoid sweet things avoid, don't eat sweet potato. Don't eat, don't eat any of that. If you're craving something sweet, maybe have like a bowl of like berries with your dinner or something, but keep your carbs super low. Right. And then if you start to notice the signs that we just talked about, maybe increase your carbs, keep them under 50. You really don't need that much. Like 50 grams of carbs a day when you're fat adapted is quite a bit. I've seen that have a profound physiological response, um, on people. Now, if you're an endurance, let's say you're listening to this and you're a runner, um, There are days, depending on the day, and I'm just being completely transparent on this podcast. There are days, like let's say that I run um, for three, four hours, or you know, I have a really, you know, heart rate plays a role into how our cortisol response is too. There are days that I'll get up to 100 grams of carbs. They're few and far between. It's not every day. Uh, Maybe once a month that will happen. But again, it's only it's not an energy thing. Because here's the thing: if I eat, let's say that I run. 26 miles during a training day as an ultra athlete, and I eat 4,500 calories. That 100 grams of carbs is only eight to nine percent of my daily intake. I am not a, I am not predominantly burning carbs as fuel. It's not an energy thing. It's a hormone balance thing. And when you can wrap your mind around that, that's when you're going to find freedom in it. So, all that, all that we just went over to say, that's why for my fat fuel perspective, from a protein repairing perspective, and from a carbohydrate hormone balance perspective. I think that the paleolithic ketogenic diet is the end goal for everyone. I think that should be the end goal. I think that's what we should strive for. And I think that people can find freedom in it because whether you're someone that enjoys bowls of fruit or enjoys a sweet potato, or you're someone that decides to do carnivore, you're both doing a paleolithic ketogenic diet you're just using, again, the amount of carbs you eat is just for hormone regulation. It has nothing to do with primary energy. Your primary energy is fat. It just is. Um, And I really hope that makes sense. But that is why over the past two years, I have really solidified this way of eating. I thrive on it. I feel great on it. Um, I'm always waiting for my, it's funny. Cause I have like all this, like dogmatic thought and I'm always waiting for like, it just to break for me to break, but I don't, I wake up every morning and I'm leaner. I feel great. I'm happy. My emotions, my energy. Um, I could not ask for a better way of living, um, at the moment. And I don't know, I just wanted to share that with you. So I know this was like a super long episode. Uh, I appreciate you sitting through it with me and I hope to hear from you soon. Again, you can email me Again, I will also put the description of some of these cortisol studies kind of explaining the relationship between it and insulin in the description below. And if you have any questions, if you're at a certain place in your dieting and you want to ask how you should approach this, feel free to reach out to me. If you want one-on-one coaching, I will help guide you through what you need to be doing based off of my expertise in education. Um, and yeah, so I appreciate you guys and I hope to hear from you soon. Peace out. See you in the next one.